Hey everybody, welcome to this month's Metal Misconduct. Sorry we were off last month, summer break. It's hard to get a hold of anybody. So we're back though this month, coming once again from the beautiful NHL headquarters in Midtown Manhattan. And I'm Brian Slagle from Metal Blade Records. And as always, with me, Sean Rourke. Sean, how are you? I'm good. It's the sparsely attended NHL offices. Um, summer break here, so I'm uh, one of the few that's in trying to get a little bit of work done, take a little time out, talk a little metal with uh, my good friend Brian. Yeah, I noticed some tumbleweeds rolling past our uh, <laughs> our studio here. Hockey so. season never ends now, though. You should know that. It's much like your... Like your season, it goes on even when nothing's happening. You know, we plan for a lot of exciting things this year. Games in China, games in Sweden, start of the Golden Knights, your new favorite team out in Vegas, <laughs> and uh, a bunch of other stuff going on, an outdoor game at City Field. So uh, already well into the planning stages for all that's going to happen in the 17-18 season. Yeah, so I imagine that, the, that basically this is the time of year, kind of mid-July through mid-August, where not much really goes on in this in these offices yeah no a lot of people especially in our department when we work pretty much for nine months during the season without much time off uh try and squirrel away all their vacation and go places uh shortly taking a trip to newfoundland myself looking forward to that and um but there's like i said there's always planning stuff going on getting ready for the next year figuring out how we're going to cover some of the stuff that's coming up early on i mean training camps open middle of september you know we'll have a couple of big uh player availability sessions before that uh where we put away a lot of stuff for during the season and then uh, mid-september training camps open and we're off and running yeah then it, the whole thing cranks up again it really is only kind of a three-month off season when you look at the well if you look at the end of the stanley cup to the beginning of training camp and then if you elongate that out to like the draft and everything then yeah it's pretty short and that's what we have to do we actually have to elongate it out until the first week of july because of free agency yep um, so our summers don't really start for the guys in NHL.com and other departments that cover uh, events really doesn't start until July 8th, and we're back full cranking in early September doing season previews. So, And during the summer, we do two different updates. We do a um, uh, in July, we look at each team and the moves that they've made, kind of a roster reset, and then starting – August 1st, thank God again for the the Vegas Golden Knights because we used to do a 30 and 30 even though there were 31 days in August. Now we do a 31 and 31 where we do a five-story package look at each team, who's in, who's out, what their lineups might look like, who their top prospects are, little fantasy, little analytics, and really kind of set people's appetites for what's going to come in September. There you go. Uh, so yeah, thirty-one days, perfect. Yeah. So now that's uh, why I lobbied for a new team. Yes, perfect. And only one. <laughs> only one. It worked out perfect. Um, so yeah. So uh, this month we're going to talk some uh, about what moves and stuff people made over the the summertime for the NHL and where what we, what we think teams are going to be good. And then in about ten minutes we're going to talk about uh, the Metal Blade book that uh, is coming out August 29th. For the sake of heaviness, the history of Metal Blade Records, which I'm super excited about. So if you don't want to hear the hockey talk and you're listening to this on, on Apple, you can just fast forward 10 minutes ahead or 15 minutes ahead to talk to that. But for those of you that want to talk about hockey, as you should if you're listening to this podcast, um, so who do you think – it's kind of an interesting summer. It's not even done yet, obviously. There's still a lot of free agents out there, which is kind of interesting. Uh, who, which team do you think made the best upgrades in the offseason so far? 
Well, I think I'd have to put Dallas at the top of that list. They were yeah. incredibly aggressive. Um, made a lot of different moves, bringing in Bishop early um, to kind of settle their goaltending situation and then doing a number of other things. So, And they weren't an awful team two years ago. I mean, the wheels just fell off last year. I think a lot of that had to do with goaltending, a little bit of injuries, and a, a little bit of natural regression. But they were the number two team in the West two seasons ago. Um, so now, you know, they've added some pieces, and, and I think they're going to be a dangerous team and, and a team that not a lot of people are thinking about because of how bad – their 16-17 season was. And they added Scott Burnside to their to their team as well. So they did. Most importantly, our yeah, good friend. Metal Misconduct alum, Scott Burnside. That's right. Um, yeah, he will I be. I say Bernstein, Burnside. What he, will be, uh, he will Scott be. Scott Burnside. Oof. He will be doing their um, uh, daily content for the website. They hired him, ESPN, uh, got rid of him and most of their hockey writers uh, during the playoffs. And, uh uh, he landed a gig with the Dallas Stars where he'll be kind of behind the scenes guy. There's a number of those now. It's very interesting. The Vegas Golden Knights have um, Gary Lawless from the Los, from uh, Winnipeg. He was kind of a, a man of many trades in Winnipeg, uh, radio, TV, um, obviously covering the Jets and some CFL. And now he's moved to Vegas full time and is going to cover that team on a daily basis, which is, uh, is a great move for teams because they can uh, – they can spread the word about their team as they see fit. They don't have to rely on outside media. You know, uh, nobody knows who's going to cover that Vegas team, right? Media-wise, how it's going to take off. And now they have their own stakeholder in that 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 assures that they get their message out a little bit. Now, I'm going to take credit next year for two teams that I think are going to make huge improvements uh, because I had a I had an apartment in Dallas for a year uh, to deal with some business stuff there. Uh, I'm getting rid of that, and that was the one year that Dallas was terrible. Oh, you know, not terrible, but they didn't make the playoffs. And I also have had a place for a long time in Tampa, Florida. Uh, I'm also getting rid of that. So those two teams, I can pretty much guarantee you, because I'm not going to have a place in either city any, any longer, are both going to be very, very good this next season. Probably the most two, the most improved two teams, I'm going to say, aside from the Edmontons and Torontos. Yeah, I mean, Tampa's an interesting case because they have everybody under contract now. Steven Stamkos is coming back from injury, you know, and they didn't have him for a lot of last year. Um, their goaltending is a little bit different. Um, I'm interested to see what John Cooper can do with that team now after a little bit of a struggle. But uh, they're one of the most talented teams in the league by by far. I mean, yeah. the, the guy on that team that gets no credit, and we actually saw him when we were in Vegas um, for uh, NHL awards. For NHL awards was a Victor Hedman who is a ginormous human being, even yeah. off skates. Oh, yeah. um, and uh, we, we actually ran into Victor and a couple other of the Swedes. Eric Carl Carlson, Hagelin, Carl Hagelin. Um, while we were having dinner at Beauty and Essex in Vegas, which was a fantastic meal that Brian set up for some of the writers. Two nights in a row we ran in, into, into them, Eric, the, yeah, the, the, at the least Eric. The night before at Scarpetta we saw Eric, and I think was I think Haglin was with them. He might Not have been. His, his agent was with him, Carlson, and yeah. uh, a couple other people. But, yeah, so we were running in good circles while we were in <laughs> Vegas. But, uh, yeah, no, I think Victor Hedman it might be one of the most underrated players in the league. He kind of is lost by some of those other really good defensemen like Eric. Carlson, his country mate, and uh, but a fantastic roster of, of players. I mean, they don't have Jonathan Drouin anymore, but I, I don't see that as a huge loss. Um, 
then, look, if Stamkos comes back, then yeah, it's not a it's huge not, loss at It's not. It's a gain. I mean, if you're going one for one, so um, and I don't see any reason why Stephen wouldn't be back and as good as he has been. I mean, he's missed a lot of hockey in the last couple of years, but every time he's come back, he's come back strong until something else has kind of derailed him. Well, it looked like I would look at him, hopefully, like a guy like Justin Williams, who also, you know, missed a lot of time. He had two broken legs and basically missed all, all parts of almost three seasons until he kind of got back together with the Kings and then went on to win two cups. So let's hope that Stamkos, and I think they're around the same age as well. So hopefully Stamkos can, uh, can come back as yet. Tampa, I mean, if they're healthy, they should be pretty scary. And I'm not really sure. The East is really weird. I don't know that that many teams in the East made a huge upgrade from where they were before. I mean, a lot of cases, teams – I mean, Penguins obviously lost a lot of guys, uh, although they're going to get back um, hopefully for a full season in the playoffs. Tang, But, you know, I don't really – I was looking at, at, at the East and I don't know that any team really improved themselves that I could see. No, I think Washington's not as good as they were. Definitely not. Um, Columbus is right where it was, if not going to regress a little bit, because you wonder how much of that was a one-year. Nobody and expected them to do it. a 16-game win streak. Yeah, like you're not nobody, nobody was circling them on the calendar and saying, oh, we're playing Columbus, got to prove something here. But, I, you know, this year they're not going to sneak up on anybody. Um, you know, so uh, the Rangers uh, might be a little better, might not. It's hard to tell. They've made several moves. They don't really have a number one center, um, which in this in in the East is huge when you think about all the centers that are that can be trotted out in the East. So, um, yeah, the the East is tough to read. I, I'm really interested to see what the Penguins can do. I mean, look, they have the two best players maybe in the league, and and Crosby and Malkin. Um, but they're going to count on Murray as their goalie because Latang's going to be in Vegas now. I mean, uh, Flurry. Flurry's going to be in Vegas now. I wish Latang was in Vegas. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> well, not for the Penguins. And uh, Chris Latang, like you mentioned, is going to be back. Um, he they missed got, all the playoffs last year. They got no third line center at the moment, though, so that's yeah, a bit of an issue. But you know what? They so many guys in in Scranton Wilkesbury. Um, they got Ashton Reese, who was uh, the number two guy in the Hobie Baker the year before. He signed at the end of the year and played with Scranton a little bit. He could make the team this year. Um, so there, there's no there's no shortage of depth uh, in, in that organization, which is shocking because they've had so much success. They've, oh, yeah. they've drafted pretty well, and they've they've played the college free agent market better than anybody. They may end up getting Butcher, who's the Heisman Trophy winner, who's probably not going to sign with Colorado. Heisman? Uh, did I say Heisman? Yeah. Uh, Hobie Baker. That's what happened in the middle of summer, huh? Yeah. It's like, what? And, Wait, what? Uh, I was say, Heisman, is he like putting on skates now? Yeah. That would be pretty amazing. He's not going to sign with Colorado. So he's available to any team on August 15th. And the, the Penguins have said that, you know, they'll have a look and, you know, they can sell to college kids because of the success all their college kids have had. I mean, they give those guys opportunities to play because they're hamstrung a little bit by the salary cap. They got so much money tied up in Malkin and Crosby and Latang and, and Fleury when he was there and Murray soon enough that they have to surround them with some less expensive guys. And the way to do that is to get some guys on the entry level contract or some more experienced guys on a very low contract. But, uh, you know, we're talking about Latang a little bit. I don't know if you saw the video the other day, he's working out in Montreal with Terrell Owens. <laughs> wow, and then he okay. put a video up. Not of sure, them, that's a good idea. Or not, them but... doing footwork, and Terrell broke both his ankles. Like they were kind of trying to match moves, and then Terrell made a move, and Chris, he didn't even know where he was going. Um, but 
there's several players up there, Lars Eller and some of the other guys, they, they work out of this gym in, in Montreal, and they do a number of different things, but they've brought in Terrell Owens to hmm. kind of help all of them with their footwork a little bit. Kind of that fast twitch, change directions. Sure. And uh, it, some of the videos that he's had on his site have been uh, have been pretty fun to watch. The only other team in the East, and I, I'm not sure if it's going to be this year quite yet, but the, definitely the team of the future, the Flyers. I mean, they have so many prospects. I think it was two years ago, like nine guys in the World Junior Tournament. I mean, they have so many prospects, and they're starting to come. You know, you've seen it in the last couple of years, come with uh, Prokhorov and Gossespear, and you know, there's a bunch of these other guys coming up. I don't know if it's quite their year next year, but they're they're coming. No, and they have to surround them with guys, and they have to find a goaltender. That's the big problem. Is um, you know. Uh, they have to. Mason's not there anymore. Um, not is that it he was. He, not Brian Elliott now is it? Yeah, yeah. Not that he was the solution. Um, they need to find a, a franchise goalie, right? They can't just keep plugging guys in. And I, I don't know if that guy's there, but they have a ton of prospects. I think the Bruins have a ton of prospects too. You saw some late in the season and in the playoffs. McAvoy clearly. Cause, yeah, because they had five. Yep defensemen that were hurt by the time the playoffs ended um mcavoy had to get thrown in there's a couple other guys there um so they have the kid uh, bjork out of uh, notre dame who's really good um but they're they're a little ways away and i mean how many more years is chara gonna play um mm-hmm. you know they have a lot of questions they still have to answer but uh, uh they could be interested in in which way they go during the season um you know, you wonder if at some point, if they're not going to make it to some of those veterans get moved and they kind of try and rebuild with a new core or if they try and go one more shot with, with all those guys they have there. It's kind of funny how the balance of power seems to shift back and forth. Like it was a couple of years ago, it was all the West Western teams. And now the last couple of years, it's been the East has had all the power. And I think it's slowly shifting back to, to the West because you've got, uh, you know, not to forget the East, Toronto clearly you would think should make it another step up this year, although maybe sophomore slump for a lot of these kids, I don't know. And they lost Brian Boyle, which is a, a bit of a hole, but I, I think they'll still be good. But what's interesting on the West is Chicago made, I think, some pretty good improvements. Uh, Calgary is going to be a much better team. Clearly Edmonton's going to be better just because all those kids are getting a year older and McDavid is only going to get better. Uh, it's the, the West is really intriguing now. I'm, I'm curious to see how all, all that stuff how all that stuff plays out. And you haven't even mentioned the two teams that played in the Western Conference Final in Nashville, who resigned all of its core. Um, it's positioned to be good for several years now. And Anaheim, um, who I don't know where they are in their deal. I mean, they have some younger kids, um, but a lot of that core is getting up there a little bit. And I guess the, oh, the big key with, with uh, Anaheim is, you know, how is this whole uh, Gibson-Miller thing going to gonna yeah. roll out? Is Gibson going to be okay with kind of doing a 50-50 split? Is, you know, is Miller going to be okay with that? That's going to be interesting to see how it goes with Anaheim. And yeah, I mean, those, you know, those guys aren't getting, yeah, gets to, gets left and Perry aren't getting any older. I mean, Perry was basically demoted to the third line. Yeah. yeah I mean, d- Randy Carlisle, for whatever reason, is not using him the way he should. So Yeah, and they're not those guys aren't going to get any faster. And I the one thing that there is very clear in this league now is it's a fast league. Speed league. Like Yarmir yep. Yager had forty six points last year. Is a great mentor for whatever team he's on. He hasn't gotten a sniff. 
sniff as a free agent. He's still he's sitting back in the Czech Republic saying, I'd love to play. I hope somebody signs me. He's had some pretty good social media posts where, yeah. you know, he's kind of said, hey, somebody should come and sign well, me. Well, last I heard, he might go back to the KHL, which would yeah. be kind of a bummer. It would be nice to see him play somewhere. We're kind of hoping in Vegas maybe might be a good spot for him. But. Yeah, but I think GMs are scared because he's not fleet of foot. And, and I think you saw even more in the playoffs – where really fast teams caused all kinds of trouble. Like ta- Toronto caused Washington a huge headache because they were so much faster. They played the game even faster than the Capitals do, especially their defense. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and I think GMs are looking at the way the league's skewing younger and faster, and they're looking at an outlier like Yager, and they're saying, I, we don't know where he fits, but he's an outlier. He fits because he's Yager. Well, I think the other problem that you have is, you know, he's got to be a top six guy, and I'm not sure that he, whether he says it or not, I'm not sure he would be a bottom, would want to go to a team and be a bottom six guy, which which eliminates, you know, a ton of different teams because so many of them have a lot, especially a lot of wingers. I mean, yeah. Pittsburgh, you know, some people are mentioning Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh has way too many wingers at this point. So Yeah, maybe he could take fewer minutes and a lot of power play time and make it work, but. You know, third line on a really deep team, but play first line uh, penalty power play minutes, and and maybe it works. But look, I mean, I, he's, I would love to see. I would love one last season to see him play. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's gonna. We have to go to the KHL to see that, which would kind of be a bummer. But I mean, he's a fifty point guy. That's like, the how, interesting. That's the interesting. Uh, how many guys in the league scored fifty points last year? Not, not and, a whole lot, and of them. that are still free agents. I mean, any guy that scored fifty points and was a free agent has a new contract by now. Yeah, um, but we'll see. And I, I, I really think if he goes to the right team, he can change the uh, balance of power a little bit for them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hopefully he get. I mean, I would love, like I said, I would love to see him play somewhere. And maybe, you know, maybe there's a fit somewhere in the East Coast. I mean, the Cavs might be an interesting fit for him too. I mean, they they could always use a little bit more offensive help. Uh, who knows? Yeah, no, especially I Kings. Mean, they in took LA. some huge losses in free agency. The 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 Capitals are going to be a somewhat unrecognizable team, I think, next year with some of the hits they've taken. Um, I mean, they'll still have Oshie and they'll still have. They'll still have. Um, they're going to be good, but they're not going to be the powerhouse that they've been. The no, last few their years. defense is kind of being rebuilt a little bit on the fly. Um, but uh, like I said, they're going to be somewhat of a different team than they have. And and you know the goalie wasn't as good as he was last year, and that was a huge part of the success they had. I, I, I'm not ready to write him off, but you know, Holpe was not. I think he'd be the first one to tell you he wasn't as good this year as he was last I've, year. I mean, in all honesty, I've never thought he was an elite goaltender. I know he's played extremely well in the regular season, but. I don't know. Just, just never really. I never really thought like this guy's. This guy's gonna put a team on his back and win a Stanley Cup. He's a very solid goaltender. And obviously, on a very good team. But and you've seen it in the playoffs. I mean, that team, you know, has done zero in the playoffs basically. Not yeah. even, not even Stanley Cup final. No, and I, I think all that talent. You know, you look in one more year like that, and then what happens, right? Then like, you got to blow it up. Barry Trotz, what happens to him? Do they finally pull the plug with with Ovi? Do they, you know, what do they do at that point? So uh, yeah, they're going to be one of the most interesting teams this year to watch sure. and see how especially things towards the playoffs. I think they even don't give a shit about the reg- don't care about the regular season, but um, certainly the playoffs. It's going to be interesting, and I mean, you never know. I mean, you know, you get down to the trade deadline. Maybe they add a few pieces to the puzzle there, and maybe they can make a playoff run finally. Who you know, who knows? I mean, they still have some good players there, but yeah. I don't know. We'll see. 
it's uh, it's a long way off in one way, and it's right around the corner in the other way, and it's going to be unbelievably interesting, especially once it gets going. I'm so excited to see what the Golden Knights do, uh, an expansion team that was given every opportunity to be a competitive team out of the gate. These were the most favorable expansion rules ever afforded an NHL team to join the league, and McPhee, George McPhee, their GM, looked a gift horse in the mouth and did not go in that direction. I don't know that they're a team that's ready to compete early. He compiled a lot of assets, um, you know, has a ton of draft picks, has a ton, a ton of young kids, doesn't have the big names that were available in the expansion draft, passed on a lot of those or took them and then traded them. Uh, Mark Mathot would be one that went to Dallas. Um, you know, what are they going to do and, and kind of what's that plan and, and, and how will it go out? Well, this is, I'll tell you exactly what's going on. So on the outside, they're saying, and, and I think that, that this may, you know, we, we want to be competitive. Uh, but on the inside, they want to lose as many games as possible because the next two drafts have potentially franchise, like franchise era, McDavid, Matthews, etc. players coming in. Um, so you would want to get the best odds to to win, sure. to win that because one, as you see in Edmonton and in Toronto, one player can change a whole organization. And if you've got all these young kids and you're stockpiling picks and you're doing things the right way, you know you, they're going to be fun. They're going to be tough. So there's going to be a lot of fights and whatnot, which I'm sure will keep the fans entertained. And they should be, you know, they should be reasonably competitive. But as a guy who wants that team in the long term to be good, I hope they lose as many games as possible. Four, three, five, four, you know, bunch of fights. That'd be that would be a fun a fun hockey evening for me, and, and that have to be competitive. But you know, with this kid like um, Darlene coming up next year from Sweden, and there's a, there's a couple of kids in the year at, draft after that that could be potentially insanely amazing. I want them to be terrible for two years. <laughs> and I, I look, I, I don't know if they're going to be terrible, but they are not as good as they could have been coming out of uh, yeah. coming out of expansion. And I think that's okay. I think that's kind of the way you need to build, especially in a, <clears throat> excuse me, a salary cap uh, league yeah. in a salary cap era. Um, and it seems that George has done a, a pretty decent job. I look at it very much because we, I've looked at a lot of the expansion teams that have come in in the last little while to kind of do some look back stories on them and do some other stuff. And to me, they're going to, they look like they're going to be built a lot like the natural predators were, where it was a slow and steady, you know, they added. Well, I don't guys. want to wait 15 years. No, but I don't I, know if I can be alive in 15 years. Yeah, no, I don't think it'll be that long, <laughs> but once, and, and look, the predators had a couple of chances before that, that either didn't work out because they were in the central division and they were against some behemoths, or, you know, they did get into the second round a couple of times, and this year they finally struck Pater, and now you look at that team, and it's built for the long run. Like, they have all their young assets tied up. They just signed Ryan Johansson this week. They signed Arvidsson. Um, you know, that the big four on the defense is all signed and ready to go. You know, they're going to run out of goaltender soon. I don't know how much Pekka has left in the tank, um, and I think that's why he was so emotional when they lost this year. I don't well, yeah. know that they'll ever he- get back. Well, yeah, and I think the problem with, with Nashville is that, well, all those players are good players. They don't have a bona fide superstar on that team, number one. Uh, and number two, yeah, the, the Pecorine is a, a hot and cold goaltender. He got super hot in the playoffs, and it's the only reason they got to the finals. But, I mean, they'll be competitive for sure. I mean, yeah. they got a lot of good players. Absolutely. So, and I, I kind of, to me, it seems that's kind of the mold that, that 
or the game plan that Nashville wants to, I mean, that Vegas wants to follow, but a little quicker. Yeah. Um, I don't think anybody has the patience in Vegas, unlike Nashville, where that was the first team. Well, no, the owner doesn't have patience. I mean, he's, you know, he thinks they're going to win next year, but yeah. not everything, but they'll be competitive. But, you know, we'll see. I think, I, I look, I think the problem in the West is you've got Edmonton, who are probably going to win two or three cups in the next five, six, seven years more than likely. Um, so that's going to be a bit of a thing. But look, if you can be Vegas and in five years you can get you can get to a point where you're pretty competitive and, and you get lucky enough to draft one of these potential, you know, franchise guys, then, you know, they, they could they could be – them in Edmonton could be Calgary and Edmonton of, you know, the 80s maybe or something. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, no, there's a lot laying out there and – you know, I, I'm very excited about it, but it's a long way off. What's not as long a way off, and I'm almost as excited, if not more excited, is your book. Yes. <laughs> That's coming out soon, August 29th. Yes. It's the definitive history of Metal Blade Records. Uh, 35 years? 30 35 years? years. 30, 35 years of oh. heavy, heavy music. Um, for those of you that don't know Brian uh, and come for more of the hockey talk, which he's also an expert about, and the <laughs> other sports talk, Brian is maybe the foremost expert of the, at least the American heavy metal experience, and he's kind of been at the forefront of that for 35 years, and he finally decided to put all of his memories and stories down in one book, and uh, it's coming out in August, and it's going to go from... Beginning, first, be, first album beginning. to certainly not to all the stories there's, to what's there's, happening now. Well, some probably the lawyers next, right? No, no, no. Well, <laughs> our lawyer, uh, no, our, our lawyer actually read the book and said it's not controversial enough. <laughs> she put more things in there. I go, ah, I'm not going to do that, but it's it's a pretty you know it's the story from you know where we started and you know lucky enough to work with fans like Metallica and Slayer and Cannibal Corpse and on you know on on and on and on. So it's uh yeah, it was fun to do. You know, you know, I, people have been bugging me to do a book for a long time. I was like, eh, that's what you do when you're really old. Yeah, so no, I've been I'm, bugging you since I met you. To now do that something. yeah, now that I'm now that I'm finally getting pretty old. We well, we basically we're trying to figure out what we're going to do for our 35th anniversary. We've done you know box sets and tours and all sorts of other things. And I thought, well, maybe this year's a good time to finally do the book. So, so what about uh, putting the book together? I worked with this great guy named Mark Eglinton who did Rex Brown from Penn. Terrace yep. book and a bunch of other really cool books. We're with him on, on doing it. Um, you know, put it all together, kind of just reminiscing about all this stuff up, you know, from be really beginning up until, you know, I guess we stopped writing it a few months ago. Yeah. And, um, you know, we got tons of great people in the book too. Uh, Carrie King, James Hetfield, the guys from Cannibal Corpse and Mono Marth. So many of the bands, a lot of the people that work at Metal Blade over all the years are, are in there talking about stuff. Uh, Lars Ulrich did a really phenomenal forward for the book, which, uh, pretty much blew me away when I saw, I hate asking those guys for anything, but I was like, Hey, do you, you know, it's okay. I know you're busy to do the forward. He's like, Hey, yeah, no problem. No problem. So, uh, and in typical Lars fashion, he got it to me like in the, the third, third or fourth last day before it could possibly <laughs> be submitted but it was uh incredibly nice so that's a that's a real nice addition to the front part of the book and uh yeah it's pretty cool like i said it comes out august 29th and uh we're doing a huge pre-order if you go to metalblade.com there's a big pre-order there you can see there's all sorts of different shirts and we made a cassette but back to the old days and decided to make a cassette uh compilation cassette there that you can get and there's like a thing a binder for the book uh, it's happening too and i guess there's now uh, it's not finished yet, but I think there's going to be a Pledge Music campaign separately from that too, which will have some cool stuff in it. So, and then obviously, you know, Amazon and iTunes and all the all the places you would normally buy books, including bookstores. 
Wow, it's going to be in bookstores. That's awesome. So, yeah, um, it's uh, it's oh sorry, it's through uh, BMG Books, and BMG owns Random House and Penguin, which are two of the biggest book distributors in the world. Yeah. So, they, I'm going to make sure it's in all the bookstores you could possibly want. So. Awesome. So, go buy it in a bookstore and look at some other books because uh, reading rocks. Um, but one of the things I wanted to ask you about this, I read a lot of biographies, uh, you know, especially during the off season. I, I I find amazing whether it's music, sports, politics, whatever it is. Um, the dynamic between the writer and the subject always amazes me. Like, what was the process for you guys? Was it you just telling him stories? Was it him leading you down the primrose path? No, no. Basically, yeah. The way the way I did it was, uh, yeah. I just I just hold Mark stories, and, and we kind of agreed because you know talked to a bunch of different guys who were going to write it. We sat down. With, I sat down with Mark and talked to him, and I liked the way he. I liked his vision of where the book was going to go, kind of you know from my point of view, but. But in a very, um, very simple, easy way to read, and I, I like his style. So yeah, I would just you know talk to him for an hour, you know, once or twice a week for about about a year and a half, and we just started from the beginning. And it, that was an interesting process, just because I mean I had to start remembering things. Yeah. So what I was doing, I was just get I would get the re- release sheet of what we put out that year, and kind of go, oh yeah, I forgot about that. And, oh, there's a story involved with this. And, so that kind of really helped kind of put all the stories and stuff together. And then a couple of people from the office read it and said, oh, you know, what did you find about this and that? So certainly not all the stories in it. It's a it's a pretty short book. It's a nice four, five, six-hour read maybe. Nice long plane flight or if you go to Europe or something. I wanted to keep it nice and easy and kind of hit on all the, the big things and tell as much of the story as we could the, the right way. So, uh, but some, yes, I'm doing a lot of press for it now. So somebody the other day said, yeah, it's, did you, th- did you think about making it a, a real, a longer book? I said, my main thing is I don't want to bore people because it's about a record label. So it's yeah. not like, you know, some huge crazy band or massive person, sports personality or something. So I want to keep it, you know, fairly simple so you, you could get, get through it and not feel like, oh, more about this sort of thing. So, cause it, you know, it's interesting to some people, but it's not interesting to as many. So we wanted to keep it, you know, as concise as, as possible. But I'm I'm super happy with it way it came out. I think it's really good. So uh, hopefully, other people will think the same thing. I had a horrible, horrible thought process a few weeks ago where I was I'm on one of these chain email lists about music stuff, and somebody on the chain works at Classic Rock Magazine, which is a really great English publication, and. I, Put a quick little uh, plug in for the book. They said, oh, I can back Brian on this book. It's really good. I reviewed it for Classic Rock. I realized, oh, no, people are going to review the book. That's kind of sc- a little scary. I'm not, not sure how I feel about that, but we'll see. So far, so far, the reaction has been good. So we'll see how that goes. I'm sure it will. It, was there anything, you know, you mentioned like you'd look at the release sheets and you'd be like, oh, yeah. Like, was there something that came totally out of left field where you were like, I completely forgot about that, and then, but here's a great story about it? Yeah, that that happened quite often, actually, because, um, you know, going through and, and looking at all the stuff, even things that I like, kind of forgot we put out in, in a certain year, like, you know, we were doing, you know, Candlemas, and in the 80s, we did a lot of licensing in the in the U.S., so there's yeah. some Candlemas stuff in there, and I forgot about a couple stories from there, and another really good one was uh, Trouble. It's a band from Chicago that we did a bunch of records with. Yeah. And they came, the uh, second record we did with them, they came out to L.A. to record it. And I kind of forgot about this story and remembered that I, I, had, I had gone, I had gone somewhere, I left, left town for like five days or something as they were kind of finishing the record. And I came back into town. We This has been, we had a really tiny little office. We had a large office, 1985 or, yeah, probably 
85, our first little tiny office. I open the door to the office, and there's like seven people sleeping on the floor. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? So apparently they – because I thought they had gone home by, at that point. But apparently they had to go over a little bit, and the place that they were recording was also housing them. And they're like, you got to get out because we have another band coming in. So excuse me, my, my buddy Bill Matoyer, who was helping me out at the time. Didn't know what to do. We didn't have any credit cards. We didn't have any money. And I guess, and we didn't have cell phones. So I was, I forget where I was, but I was, you know, not somewhat unreachable because. I bet you were at a hockey game. Uh, it's very possible. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, he didn't, he didn't tell me or didn't want to tell me. And, uh, yeah, I got back to all these guys sleeping in the office. I'm like, what happened here? At least they could answer the phones, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, there's no room for our reception. We just had one receptionist slash assistant at the time. And, yeah, she couldn't even get into the office. So. That's that was awesome. Interesting. Yeah, no, I, you know, I've been a big fan of the label. I mean, we've had this conversation before. Like, I started, I think, the first Metal Blade album I ever bought. And I think it was, you can correct me if I'm wrong, it wasn't your main Metal Blade. It was, uh, the you had, like, the... Death imprint. Records? Yeah, it was the Mentors, which was the first yeah, record yeah. <laughs> I ever, Metal Blade record I ever bought. I think it was because of the PMC sticker on it and, oh, the, yeah. and the cover. Um, and listened to it and then was like, oh, I got to get into all this other stuff. And since then, I've been a loyal, a loyal subscriber, so to speak. But that was all on, was that on Death Records? We would, yeah. A lot of your hardcore stuff was on there too, right? Yeah, we did uh, DRI, COC, uh, uh, Dr. No, Cryptic Slaughter, The Mentors. Yeah, a bunch of that stuff. Well, the, the funny story about that was, so Slayer, this is back in the days where punk and metal were two totally separate things. But Metall what Metallica and Slayer both did was they combined some of these elements. Because Jeff Hanneman, for example, and Slayer was a big punk rock guy as well yeah. as being into metal. And Headfield also had a lot of punk rock leanings in, as well as metal too. So they kind of combined forces. So with Slayer, they love punk rock. And there's this band, DRI, Dirty Rotten Imbeciles, yeah. that they had open for them at a couple of their shows in L.A., which we were all a little bit worried about. It's like having a punk rock band open for you? Okay, but but Hannah, but the band, Hannah, especially Hanneman and Lombardo, loved them. So they opened, and they were amazing from San Francisco. And, and we're talking to the band. I was like, man, they're awesome. I'd love to work with you guys. And they, they were great guys. And like, we'd love to work with you. But the problem is that they didn't want to be on a metal label because they were traditional punk rock band. So I thought, well, so they didn't want to be on a label called Metal Blade with metal in it because it ruined their whole punk rock credibility at the time. And I was like, all right, I get that. So we'll, I said, well, what about if we start another label with a different name, but it's just it's just through us. And they said, all right, well, that could work. So we just started this other imprint. And then we shortly after DRI, we signed COC, and then it kind of went down the road. When we signed the Mentors, we were almost afraid to put them on Metal Blade because it was such a crazy out there sort of thing. And it was also very punk rock as well. So we put them out there. By the way, there's a couple amazing Mentor stories that I would love to tell in the book, but they're a little uh, not sure that they would go that they should go over very well in there. And, you know, we don't want to speak ill of uh, – it wasn't really ill of El Duce, but they're pretty funny stories. He was, I, uh, I can't. It's quite a character. I can only imagine. He reminds me, you know, of the traditional out there rock star um, type of guy that, that does all kinds of crazy stuff. Well, one story I can tell you that uh, – I can't remember if it's in the book or not, but uh, that we were recording in there. And he was hysterical. I, we always wanted to just have a spoken word record with him. We'd just give him a case of beer and just have him sit in the studio and just kind of talk because he, he was hysterical, absolutely hysterical. Like Bill Mator and I, when we were, we were making those records, we'd just be in the studio dying laughing it was so funny but one day we're in there and when he was sober he's actually a really good drummer so he would come in sober and, and do his parts and then slowly but surely be consuming a lot of alcohol and the drumming would slowly 
trail off. So one night we're in the studio, and, and the way the setup was, we couldn't really see him from the from the control room. It was really, he liked it being really dark in there. So you know everything's going along, and he's playing, and and we you know stop stop take and listen back to it and go, hey, I'll, you know, you might want to come in. There's a couple parts here we might want to redo. No response. Like, All right. So, like, this goes by for a couple minutes and there's no response. We're thinking, well, maybe the mic's not working or anything. So we, we walk in there and yell, like, hey, is everything all right? No response. Like, he couldn't have left because he has to go through the control room to go to the bathroom or something. So we walk in there and he just fallen back and passed out <laughs> in the middle of his drum <laughs> Doing his drums in there. Now that's rock and roll. Yes, very rock and roll and very El Duce. So as you were telling that story, the one thing that always strikes me about Metal Blade, especially for the younger kids who listen to it now, for, for some of your current bands, there's very little understanding of how influential the label was and how many bands that were on that label early in their career have going, gone from Metal Blade to do other things. COC, you mentioned, Foo Fighters, um, a ton of bands that that have moved more into the mainstream that in some small way metal blade was a huge part of who they were and who they became sure well we did a lot of you know also you know people talking about the 90s and the 90s for us were really not bad at all because there's a lot of underground stuff doing really well and we actually embraced the whole grunge thing i thought that stuff was awesome and all those bands were they were all metal bands if you ask me they just had a different look a different lyric set but the music was pretty similar and all of those guys whether it's alice in chains soundguard nirvana uh <clears throat> smashing pumpkins they're all huge metalheads huge metalheads so we did marketing for for Soundgarden, Mother Love Bone, Alice in Chains, and a few of the other ones up there. So we actually were able to do quite a bit. Faith No More. So we were able to, able to do that sort of stuff and kind of supplement what we're doing there with all that scene, kind of behind the scenes because nobody really knew what we're doing. And we just kind of would covertly go in and start working on all these other places where, you know, any college radio station that played metal would play this stuff and just kind of merging over from there. So, yeah, there's a lot of bands that we were able to work with over the years that, that had a lot of success. And even, you know, currently, like Ghost now started out on yeah. our label and now they're having quite a bit of success. Just saw them a couple of weeks ago finishing up Oming for Maiden. Did the whole tour there, which is awesome. And they're, I think, right on the cusp of being really big, hopefully, especially if that tour helped them immensely. So, yeah, that was the, that was the one interesting thing going through and kind of telling the history. You know, I even forgot, like, oh, that's right. We worked with that band. Oh, that, oh that's cool. We did that. So, so, <laughs> I'm like, I forgot we did all that stuff. Yeah, it's, uh, and that's the cool part, especially when you're immersed in it for so long. You are the institutional memory of Metal Blade with a couple of other people. And, and for you to be able to refresh your memory a little bit, I'm sure helps going forward when you look at new projects and new things and remember some of the chances you took early oh, yeah. in your career. Yeah, it was, and it was actually, it was actually, I was kind of dreading doing this because, like, oh, it's a lot of work, and <laughs> I don't have a lot of time in the day to do this. But for for the most part, it was it was pretty fun going back and doing all of it, and it wasn't, you know, so I had to read it a thousand times to make sure that it was all good at the end. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was actually, it was actually a pretty pretty cool, fun thing to do. And now, now the other part of it, I'm in the throes of doing all this book tour, you know, interviews and. All this stuff, which is not as fun, but, uh, you know, you got to do what you got to do. So far, everybody I've talked to has been pretty nice. Well, this is going to be the highlight of the interviews about the there book. There you go. Did you, did you have to rekindle some relationships to do this? Call some people and say, hey, am I remembering this right? Maybe guys you hadn't talked to for many moons? You know, not really because I felt – I well, I probably should have done that in a couple <laughs> cases. I don't know. We'll find out. 
But, uh, no, it was, it was pretty good. I think the main, the main cog in that was a couple people that worked at Metal Boy, like Mike Failey, who's been there for a long time, and yep. Tracy Vera, because they've been around and, and were around for a lot of this stuff. So they definitely had kind of corroborated a lot of that stuff. And I think, uh, yeah, I think, you know, I've talked with so many people about, um, you know, over the years, just telling stories and stuff. So I think I'm pretty good on, on all of that. <laughs> You'll find out soon enough. Yeah, I mean, there's. Well, it's funny. I mentioned in the book that the that the first time I saw Slayer, Carrie, Carrie King and I, who's Carrie's still a really good friend of mine, uh, we argue about that because when I first saw them, they made they played a bunch of covers, kind of similar to when Metallica first started. And I swore that they played Phantom of the Opera by Iron Maiden that night. And Carrie says that they never played it. And Tom. Has no idea. Tom and Dave have no idea either way. So, uh, so I put it in the book, but I did with the disclaimer. Carrie claims they didn't. I think that they did, but nonetheless, they were still amazing, no matter what songs they were playing. So, so yeah, I think I think everything's pretty good. I mean, look, anytime you tell a story, there might be somebody else has a different take on on necessarily what happened. So I don't think there's anything super controversial in here, but there's a few things in there. I go, oh, I hope that guy isn't upset that I mentioned something in there. Yeah, I would imagine that's always the hard part about writing any of these so-called, I know this isn't a tell-all book, but any, no. any kind of book that kind of lays some insider stuff out in the public. Well, like I said, our lawyer said it was it was not controversial enough, and I should have said more about a few situations. But I'm like, ah, it's not, I don't want to throw anybody out the bus. So. Yeah, no, and then now you got a second book. Well, let's hope so, yeah. The real story behind <laughs> the first story. I was talking to Lars, uh, and he's like, yeah, you know, I mean, people obviously have been offering him millions of dollars to write a book. He's like, i got to be honest, and I, I'm not sure that that's a good idea for me yeah. at the moment. I go, yeah. I get much different if you're a band doing stuff because you really, you know, to really do it right, you're going to tell all the all the dirt. I mean, we, you know, I think from, from the business side of, of what we did, there's, you know, not a lot of dirt, but we talk about, you know, leaving Warner Brothers and all the controversies that were there and, you know, some of the other stuff that we had to deal with over the years with, you know, just the business end of things. And, and that sort of stuff is a, is a little tricky. But Yeah. And it, I haven't read it yet, but I would assume as much of it is um, a, a story about metal and, and how that came to be. There's a business story here. Oh, I mean, big time. You did something that had never been done before here, at least in, in the States. I mean, you made something from nothing into an empire that's lasted 35 years and continues to grow. So I had to do it now. So before it all crumbles, before it all crumbles. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, I guess, you know, people are not spinning it, but talking, you know, the, the book people obviously have to spin it in a different way. And it's like, you know, just some kid from nothing kind of, you know, created this whole, this whole thing and it went on with metal but i think you know the one thing that 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 does surprise me when going back and especially talking about old days just a fact is like none of us ever in a million years would have ever thought that this would still be going 35 years later yeah. i'd still be talking about this or metallica would be one of the biggest bands in the world or slayers had this insane career it's we were just all young dumb kids you know just loving the music and trying to do something and since i couldn't play an instrument i figured well I must i gotta do something i'll do the business end i guess yeah and you're a self-taught businessman, right? Pretty much. I mean, when I went to when I was in school, I did smartly take a few business courses. They didn't really teach me a whole lot. I learned, I learned more the first year being out of that and making every mistake possible, and doing it from there. But yeah, it's um, yeah, it was interesting. I, I I think the biggest key is just if you, if you, no matter what you're doing, you're going to make mistakes and just learn by those mistakes. Yeah, so don't you don't them repeat over them. Over. Yeah. So I was pretty good at, at making a lot of mistakes <laughs> and then not repeating them as, as time went on. So, 
Well, that's awesome. Uh, like I said, I can't wait to read it. It's been such metal blade. It's been such a part of my life for since I was 12, 13 years old cool. and getting dropped off at the record store unaccompanied for the first times oh. and, you know, bought a lot of different stuff, not just your stuff, uh, not just heavy metal, but, you know, trying, kind of trying to find my way. And you kind of, that label and some other labels kind of put me on the path that I'm on now where we have very much similar tastes in a lot of music and not so much in others, but uh, I, it's, it's an amazing story. It's, it's a, it's a great American success story. And we talk a lot about too, about metal and just the rise of metal, not only the bands that we work with, but, but I mean, I've, you know, come across, you know, you know friends with pretty much, especially all the bands in the eighties, whether it was our scene or just, you know, bands that came out of there. Uh, so we talk a lot about that sort of stuff in the book too. So it's not just about metal, but it's really more about the whole music scene. And I think, you know, certainly I think it's interesting to kind of peel back the layers of, you know, what happened in the 80s where all these bands kind of came from and made it really big. And then also kind of peeling back on the 90s where a lot of people thought that, that metal was over and it was dead, it was terrible, and it wasn't really nearly as bad as I thought, it, as, it, as people seemed it was. It certainly wasn't mainstream. And it's interesting because now, for whatever reason, it seems like the 90s are all hip again. And there's all these articles coming out in a bunch of different magazines because they've done countless interviews yeah. about the 90s and what went on in the 90s. But I'll tell you one story that uh, that I don't think I, – I didn't put in the book, but this – what's the word I'm looking for? Um, describes the 90s in the perfect way. So uh, obviously I've mentioned earlier I had a place in Tampa. I used to love hanging out in Tampa. We had a lot of bands there. and so one of my favorite places there was a Hard Rock in Tampa. It's a great place to go, have a couple of drinks. Uh, even if you're not gambling, the restaurants there are cool. It's just a cool, fun vibe. And it was kind of in the middle of where a lot of people out there I knew lived. So we used to hang out there all the time. The people that worked there were phenomenally cool. So, but there's one guitar. You know, they typical Hard Rock, they get guitars and stuff from metal and Hard Rock bands all over the place. And there's one Kerry King guitar. There's this really weird-looking guitar. It had all these different colors on it, and it didn't look like anything I ever thought Kerry would play. There's no way he's playing. It's just some they put that up there and put his name underneath it. It's probably some guitar that Poison or Slaughter or somebody played. So at one point, after seeing this guitar several times, I finally like screw it. I'm going to take a picture of it, and I texted Kerry. I said, "You didn't really play this guitar, did you?" And he goes, "Yep, I sure did." And I go, "What the hell? How is that possible?" And this is the this this this. The words he described to, in response to that was was really. If you ever write a book about the '90s, this would be the title of the book. I think the '90s were weird, and there there you have it. <laughs> I don't know if it's in the book, and we've talked about it a little bit. Um, is is part of the book how you, whether through ignorance or through plan, basically missed the glam era? Oh yeah, no, we talk about we, we talk about you know missing out on Guns N' Roses in there where. I didn't go see them because they. I thought they were a glam band. So. Yeah, but you pretty much stayed away from the whole. St glam. Stayed away from glam, and also in the '90s, stayed away from new metal as well. I just wasn't into any of that stuff. Corn, which I don't know, you know, people kind of lump them in there, but I don't think that they really were. We saw them early on in, in a little club where they were amazing, and we actually tried to sign them. Uh, but it's funny, we like we saw them in Roadrunner. Saw saw them. We were both falling all over ourselves trying to sign this <laughs> band. And then a couple months later, they played another club, another club show in LA, and every A and R person from every label was there. And I remember seeing Monty Connor, who was the A and R guy from Roadrunner, who's also a good friend of mine. And we both saw that and kind of looked at each other, like, "Well, I guess we missed our window. <laughs> you lose out on that one." Yeah, that, but it's amazing the variety of your catalog, and there's really nothing in there from that whole 
era that was huge uh, of the the glam, the poisons, and the Cinderellas, yeah, nope. and and all that stuff. Even you know some of the stuff that wasn't as extreme, the Skid Row, and and all that. And like you said, there was none of the new metal, which was huge for for a very short period where that was the majority of what was selling. Yeah, I mean, both of those seem to be super trendy for me, and, and certainly that the hair metal quote unquote yeah. thing ended metal as we knew it in the eighties, and that's when grunge kind of came in and destroyed it because it needed yeah. to be destroyed at that point and go back to the underground and reinvent itself. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just that's just not my cup of tea. I mean, I like all sorts of metal, and there's even stuff from that you know late eighties hair. I like I love Cinderella. I think they're great. You know, one of the Skid Rose re- Skid Rose records are really good. Yeah, I, know, but, I love Rat. Yeah, Rat. Well, Rat started on the very first Metal Massacre album, so I've, yeah. I saw them. I saw them in Motley Crue before they were anybody. Playing at the Troubadour in L.A. for a dollar on a Wednesday night. That's kind of how I first realized there were actually heavy metal bands playing in L.A. So, <laughs> see, so it was good for something. Absolutely, absolutely. There's a really great Motley Crue story in the book too that you can. The early days, you can you can read about it. The book, which comes out August 29th. <laughs> and, and can be bought in bookstores, online Books. booksellers, Metal Blade or no? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. If you Well, right now, if you go to MetalBlade.com, uh, we have a, a really nice pre-order there. So you can go there and you can get a pre-order the, of the hard copy of the book along with a cassette, T-shirt. There's like this – we made this really cool blow-up of the cassette that you can house the book in. and It's pretty cool. But yeah, you can, should be able to get it pretty much anywhere anywhere books are sold. Quality books are sold. Well, there you go. Exactly. Awesome. Well, I think uh, I think we're done for for this month, and we by the time we reconvene next month, we will have both traveled the world a little bit. Yes, and uh, we'll be itching for not only hockey to start, but football will have started uh, uh, probably right around the time when we convene. And uh, my New England Patriots, the two-time Super Bowl champions, will be looking to defend their title. Yeah, you never with know. A, with a big challenge from the Denver Broncos, I think. Yeah, the Broncos have no quarterback, <clears throat> but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Well, thanks sure. for uh, thanks for all the book stuff, and uh, talk to you next month.